0: I encourage you to take them and turn to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. <clears throat> In Romans chapter 13, I'm going to read verses 1-7 through 7 and then down to 8 where we're going to start this morning. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from god and those who exist are established by god therefore whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinances of god the will of god and they do have and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves for ru- rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior but for evil Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister, government is, a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, Not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due to them, tax to whom tax is due, custom to whom custom is due, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. In this text we found out last week, we are to be in subjection to human government. The reasons... Our number one authority was given by God. Government, governmental authority was given by God. And if you resist that governmental authority, you are literally resisting God's will, His ordinances. Opposition will bring to that authority, will bring condemnation. Rulers punish evil behavior. Rulers praise good behavior. Rulers are servants of God. Therefore, because of that, pay taxes, submit to them, obey them, and honor them. We found that last week. We preached that passage. We've taken three weeks to go through the subject of governmental authority. All of that is true, but we also must understand that we must obey God rather than men because our citizenship is a heavenly one, a spiritual one. Our King is Christ. Amen. By the way, that's a wonderful encouragement to me because when I see many of our rulers just doing anti God things, I am so greatly encouraged that my God is truly in charge. And these things will simply pass away. Romans 13, chapter 8, is where we'll begin this morning. And it's a very, extremely difficult passage. The Bible says, owe nothing to anyone. How many have heard that before? Owe nothing to anyone. And when you have heard that, how many have heard that means never, ever go in debt? How many have heard that? Bible says, owe nothing for ever anyone, and then there's no comma, there's no period, there's no nothing there except a blank, a space. If you keep reading, it says, owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he, who <coughs> <coughs> for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall, commit, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Verses 8 through 10. Well, frankly, verse 8 is so many times ripped out of context. We know the phrase, we've heard it dozens of times, don't ever go into debt. Well, this passage, unfortunately, has been used in virtually every sermon I heard and countless times when people are trying to stop people from taking out loans. They'll bring it right in, right? As if that this passage has something to do with financial dealings. How many of you have heard someone say during conversation of financial loans and what the Bible says about it, they invariably say, Oh, no man, anything. Well, what does this passage really say? Does it truly have anything to do with money? Well, let's look. But Paul, one author says it this way, Paul is saying that the believers should not leave debts unpaid. They should be settled promptly. The present imperative will have a continuous force. Don't continue owing. Pay your debts. That's how he translates it. Now, let me ask you this. Is that a good principle? Sure, it's a good principle. The issue is, is that principle found here? Look at verse 7. As long as you're in the scripture there, pay taxes, fear, honor, do it now, don't delay. This is your responsibility to the government. In essence, a Christian's debt to government is taxes, honor, submit, obey. But Christians have more than just government to deal with, do they not? Christians have everyone to deal with. We deal with people all the time. I brought up three of my favorite authors as far as Romans 13 goes and 12, but Morris is one of them. He says it this way, he has just said that they should pay what they owe to officialdom. So he makes up words, right? Right. Now he moves the same obligation into private life. But he goes beyond the payments of debt in the ordinary sense to the thought of a debt that can never be discharged, a debt of love. We may pay our taxes and be done with it for the year. We may even give respect and honor where they are due and have no further obligations. But we can never say, I have done all the loving I need to do. Frankly, isn't it nice? Everybody is just so happy with April 16th, right? Of every year. Why? They're all done. I don't need to deal with that anymore. By the way, that's not true. (laughs) We filed our taxes and we still haven't heard anything from them. (laughs) What do you think the 87,000 are for? (laughs) But the reality is, yeah, we we, we pay our taxes and then we're done, but there's something more to this that Paul is talking about. This is not, I'm going to advocate this morning, this is not about money. It's about attitude of Christians. And I think I'm going to hopefully make a good case for that as you see it in the text. So he goes on, he says, um, we, we may give respect and honor where they are due and no further obligations, but we can never say, and I love this, I have done all I lovingly I need to do. We can never say that. I'm done with my love that I owe everybody so I can go on with life. No, you never as a Christian stop loving others. And that means everyone. As Origen put it long ago, the debt of charity is permanent. And we never quit of it. For we must pay it daily and yet always owe it. Origen, anybody know who that is? He's one of the early patristics. One of the early church pastors. He actually was one of them that I don't know if it was I think he was in Rome at the time. Someone asked, hey, there's no water here. We need to baptize people. What do we do? And it was Origen that said, well, go ahead and sprinkle them because there's nothing there. So they're struggling with truths and how to practically live these truths out. But regardless, notice that Paul does not refer to this as a work of of any outstanding achievement that we look for only in the greatest of saints. He sees it as a duty resting on the humblest of believers. Whatever else we do or do not do, whatever we owe or do not owe, one thing is for sure. We always, permanently, consistently have a debt of love that is paid to everyone else around us. We pay that debt by love to everyone. Now, It can get really confusing. Because let's let's just be honest. Do we still owe a debt? There is a sense where we do not owe a debt anymore. Why? Jesus Christ has paid that debt. How? How did he pay the debt? The greatest example of love. So, when you're talking about this text, it's going to be very, we have to be very careful about how we express it detail because we are not paying our own debt of eternal damnation. Amen. And we have to be careful not to go down that road. So, that's what Morris says. Morris, I agree with 100% in this aspect of what he's talking about. John MacArthur says it this way. When borrowing is truly necessary, the money should be repaid as agreed upon with the lender promptly and fully, but scripture nowhere justifies borrowing for purposes of, being unnecessary, of buying unnecessary things, especially, especially luxuries that we cannot be afforded. And whatever is owed must be paid on time and in full. Those financial principles are the essence of Paul's admonition to owe nothing to anyone. Then he goes on and says, the apostle then makes what appears at first glance to be a radical transition declaring that all Christians have a type of perpetual indebtedness. Completely apart from financial considerations or situations, all believers have the constant Obligation to love one another. So, what is Carthur, MacArthur saying? He's saying, Oh, nobody, anything is financial, but it isn't financial. How many understand that? It's very difficult. And by the way, if you would read John MacArthur's commentary, he will go through and give you four or five pages about debt and explain that. Schreiner. Schreiner is a Southern Baptist pastor and also I believe he is, I, I guess I, I better not say, but I know he is one of the main teachers at Southern Seminary. The injunction to owe nothing to anyone should not be read so literally as to forbid the taking of any loans. So how many have seen three Well-respected theologians disagree totally on this. How How many have seen that? I'll keep going because he has some very good things to say also, as did all of them. should not be read so literally as to forbid the taking of any loans. The point of the text is that any debts occurred should be repaid. Some commentators translate the word but... So the sentence reads, owes no, no, nothing to anyone, but you ought to love one another. I don't think that's a very good translation, to be honest with you. I think that's not hitting the head, nail on the head. And, but most people, most commentaries use, show this text explain it as the word, as the NASB does, except. Owe nothing to anyone, except you ought to love one another. Does that make sense? And that's probably the best translation. Believers are summoned to pay the debt of love to others. That's what it's talking about. Which in this case is a debt that never comes to an end. A lot of people just don't even want to deal with this passage because it's so hard to deal with. Obviously, when you have two conservative evangelicals saying this is... This is that. That's this, and they're totally dis- and they're disagreeing in many aspects. It is difficult. Now you say, "Well, where are you going to end up? You're probably going to be wrong." Yeah, I could be wrong, but I'm convinced that this is not talking about financial aspects at all. I'm convinced of that, and I'm going to show you why I'm convinced. Christians are bound to a permanent. Debt of love, period. That is what we owe. We owe the world to love. That's what we owe. How are we doing in that aspect? We owe the world to love. Christians do owe a debt. But that payment of that debt is perpetual love. one another following this line of thinking jesus completely paid the debt we could not pay that is not the debt we're talking about he paid our debt that we could not pay and as a result we now owe a debt of love that will never end that's the idea of this in essence context helps us dramatically how many would agree context 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 so let's go back to chapter 12 and we're going to quickly go through this in essence remember we're talking about owe no man anything except for love right except for love all right here's what we do look at verse 1 in essence because of the mercies of God it is our reasonable service it is our let me use a different word there it is our debt that we relate to all others in love Because of what God's done for us, the mercies of God, what did He do? He loved us and died for us. Because of that, we owe something. It's reasonable, right? It's logical, that's the idea. That we owe for everybody else. We owe to love them. Let's quickly go through this now. We are being transformed by His Word to love. I'm going to say it this way. And you have to pay attention. We are being transformed by His Word to love to love. Did you catch that? You say, yeah, you just repeated yourself. No, no, I didn't repeat myself. Listen closely. We are being transformed by His Word to love to love people. Does that make sense? That's what's going on in a Christian's life. They enjoy loving people. They love to love people. But let me ask you, is that the characteristic of Christianity today? I think we have a long ways to go. We are being transformed by his word to love to love. Look at what Jesus has done for you. You must show that love to others. He died for you, the greatest sacrificial love. Now, because of that, love others, verse 3. God, he has equipped each of us to love others in a specific God-willed way, verses 4 through 8. Love is selfless, verse 10. Love is devoted, verse 10. I'm sorry, verse nine, love is selfless, verse nine, love is devoted, verse 10, love is not lazy, but passionate, verse 11, love brings hope in troublesome times through reliance on him, verse 12, this love sacrifices for others, verse 13, this love blesses others, verse 14, this love weeps and rejoices with others, verse 15, love is humble, verse 16, love does not get even, very important. Love does not get even, verse 17. Love is at peace with all men, verse 18. Love never takes revenge, but defers to God to judge, verse 19. This love does good, not evil, verse 20 through 21. Love submits to government to do justice, verses 1 through 7. Let me ask you, what is the context of Romans 12 and 13? Love. It's absolutely love. We cannot get around that. Christians, you are this love. Based on God's merciful love, it is our debt, our reasonable service to never stop loving others. Love is the only debt we owe others all the time without fail. Maybe this would help us understand Love is the debt that Paul is saying that we owe people. How many would agree with that? Here's the deal. Wrath is not what we owe people, even when they're wrathful to us. Vengeance is not what we owe people, even though they might, in our mind, deserve it. How many understand this? Evil. None of that. Only love. In other words, Christian, you are not to hold bitter feelings towards other people. Why? God will take care of it. How does he take care of it? The government takes care of it. How many get that? It's not your job to judge them. You are not the judge. You are to love them. How many remember the the example we showed when uh, (coughs) the, the lady that baked cakes, do you remember that? She baked cakes, and they took her to court in Oregon or Washington. They took her to court. The state took her to court, and she went up there and gave a hug to the guy bringing the lawsuit against her that she would lose everything. She went and gave him a hug. Why? Because Christians are to love, and that's what she told her advocates. The advocates that she had hired looked at her and said, "What? you are nuts. We don't do that. No, Christians do. We love those that hate us. Jesus did not give us vengeance. Jesus did not give us wrath. Jesus did not give us what we deserve. Amen? Do we understand that? If God was a God of vengeance, where would we be? If God was a God of wrath continually for everybody, where would we be? Now, does He do those things? Yes. But He did not lay them at your feet. He did not leave the vengeance at you. He did not leave the wrath at you. He did not give us what we truly deserve. No, instead, He died for us in love. Our debt for Christ's love is to love others. Folks, Jesus Christ died for them also. This is not a financial focused context whatsoever. It's so much greater than that. Amen. What does the text say? Owe nothing to anyone. But it doesn't stop there. The phrase doesn't even stop there. Except to love one another. We are here to love the world. Not the things in the world, right? Now, that being said, I'm just, and I'm doing this because I think it's important to do this. The question is then well, if owe nothing to anyone is not about financial stuff, then the Bible doesn't say anything about debts, does it? Well, yes, it does. Loans are biblically acceptable. And you, there are a plethora of verses, and there are more verses than this, but that's all the time I want to spend on that because that's not what the text is about. How many get this? We are commanded to love one another. Verse 8, what does it say? Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. So why? We are commanded to love one another. Why? Because love fulfills the law. So why does it matter that Christians fulfill the law? Believers are to love one another because this fulfills what the law commands. Now, this is so interesting. How many remember a man that fulfilled the law, that it was said many times he fulfilled the law? Who was that man? Christ. What does that mean? We struggle with that sometimes, do we not? How did he fulfill the law? Some people say, well, he obeyed every aspect of the law at all times. All the, I mean, every single law was obeyed by God. And they, and they want to get it all into the nitty-gritty and all the details, and great, we can do that, we can try that, we can study that. The problem is, there's no end game to that because we really don't know all things. But I will ask you this, is it possible, and I'm not advocating this, I just want you to think about this. Is it possible that God Christ Jesus fulfilled the law by expressing the greatest love ever. And to be honest with you, in this context, it fits very well. Believers are to love one another. Why? Because this fulfills what the law commands. I thought Paul was against the law. How many understand what I'm talking about? Oh, he pushes it away. It's not important. Let me ask you, does Paul think that the law is not important in this text? Not at all. He thinks it's very important. He thinks it's so important, he's commanding people to fulfill it. And the way you fulfill the law is to love one another. We live in the... I didn't live any other age, so I can't make that statement. Let me rewrite that statement in my head. We live in a crazy, selfish age. It's all about me. It's all about my comfort. It's all about my ways. This country has, from what I understand, this country has never been as divided as it is right now. And it's because everybody deserves a trophy. We have our own thinking and we have to shove it down everybody's throats. We just simply proclaim the gospel and we love one another. Last week we talked about the mob. How many you remember talking about the mob downtown Minneapolis? None, None of us would go to those people and ask them for advice. Correct? Why? It wasn't love that was shown, it was hatred that was shown. Anecdotally, I can tell you that my office, some days, seems like a revolving door. How many understand what I'm talking about? There's people after people, they come in, they sit down, and they want to ask theological questions. Why? Why? Why do they do that? They want to know, and they know that I love the Lord. And they know I care about them and will spend time with them. Rodney probably has the same thing (coughs) at Walmart, but he probably has guys who want to fight him too. Folks, we're the only place that true love is being expressed in this world. Well, no, people love each other. You don't know the motivation behind them. Why do you love others? To get something from them? Or because Christ wants us to and our lives are changed to want to love each other? Amen? Motivations matter. So, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Fulfilled the law. Verse 10, and and verse 9 here, I'm not going to skip verse 9. This is pretty awesome. How do we know what law this is? And if you were to go into commentaries, you'll find people talking about the Shema. Let me ask you, is the Shema part of the law? Would it be considered part of the law? Because in the Old Testament, commanded by God. Certainly. Is the Mosaic law in the Old Testament commanded by God? Yes or no? Yeah. So they they want to get, you know, which one is this? Is this the Shema? Or is this the the Ten Commandments of Moses? What law? Is this the moral law? Is this this law? Is this this law? It's the law. Obey it. It's that easy. There is no difference. I don't care if it's the Shema or the the moral law. Because here's the the Mosaic law. Here's the deal. Look at verse 9. First of all, what does the Shema say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and might. Depends on which version you're looking at. But the point is, it's about loving the Lord. How many of you believe that Christians obviously love the Lord? Do we really love the Lord? How many of you love to go fishing or hunting or shopping or watching your favorite sports team, whatever that may be, or driving in your cool car? When you love something, this is where Jonathan Edwards shines, let me tell you. The more I'm studying Jonathan Edwards, the more I just, that's, he's the man. Everything is about affections. What is your, when you get home this morning, what is your will? Someone say, well, I'm a Christian, so my will is to love God. Okay, I get that. I, I'm not disputing that. But what really is your affections? I'm starving. Amen? <laughs> right? So what do we do? Man, I can't even wait to get home. We're going to McDonald's. That's for Timmy's sake. <laughs> or wherever. Wait, I can't wait. Why? Your affections are demanding actions. Now that doesn't mean that you love McDonald's. although they have the grass French fries, there are. Regardless, your it doesn't just when, when he talks about affections, we think, oh, that's just about love. It's not just about love, although that plays a part of it. It's desires and wills. And there's actions that are applied to this. When we were like, okay, I'm speeding home because I'm so hungry. And then you walk in that door, at least back in the 80s, it was like this. I don't know what it's like today in most homes, but in the 80s, it was you walked in the door. You could smell the roast outside the door. How many know what I'm talking about? You could, and that made it worse. (laughs) And then mom was. Wait till dinner, right? <laughs> Stop it! What? Your actions were motivated by an inner appetite for something. Every Christian's appetite should be to please God in everything. And if that's the appetite, you will love everyone. We've spent years with a mantra love God, knowing and loving God. How many remember that? The more you know Him, the more you love Him, the more you love Him, the more you love others. It's just how it happens. Because it's not about me. We owe a debt of love to whom? To whom? Believe it or not, there are actually commentators, because if you read down, you're going to find out exactly what I'm talking about here, um, uh, about uh, loving yourself just like you love yourself. How many know what I'm talking about? Love others as you would treat others, as you would treat yourself. They literally say, well, that means, it's talking about we should love ourselves. We're not commanded to love ourselves. Amen? (laughs) We're not commanded to love ourselves. That comes what? Naturally, that's, that's a given. It's not a command. The point is, when we love others, we are fulfilling the law. How is it fulfilling the law? Well, let's look at this, verse 9. For this, this is how you're fulfilling the law. You shall not commit adultery. If you love your neighbor, you're not going to have his wife. Amen? Amen? So adultery, they, adultery is love of self, not love of God and love of others. You shall not murder. I love you so much, I will kill you. Said no one ever. That is like so dumb. Love, if you loved others, you will never commit murder. By the way, that's why Christians as a whole love, that's why they're anti-abortionists. We love children. By the way, that should be the motivation and not being a Republican or a Democrat. It needs to be the motivation, right? It's against murder is what we are. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. Huh. If you love somebody else, you're glad they have those possessions. Amen? You're not going to take it from them. You shall not covet. Man, I wish I had that car. Said nobody looking at a Chevy. Right. Sorry. <laughs> but you get it, right? Man, they. I'm glad for them. You put loving others in every single one of these commandments, you're not going to do them. And here's the problem. In, our, in the world, in, in Israel's world, in, when Israel were the only people of God, this was their law. So what did they do? What did they do? Ah, uh, I know the king murdered in order to have adultery look good with Bathsheba. Right? I will tell you this. David did not love like Christ loved. David lusted and loved himself. If you look at the text, this was the first message I ever preached at Pillsbury College, so I remember it today. Mm -hmm. David is on top of the, the, the palace. He's on a high point. David was not supposed to be there. David was supposed to be at war with his warriors. David loved himself and was focused on self preservation and not going to war. David then was at the top of it. You know, he's probably quite nervous because he's a man after God's own heart, right? So there is some conscience there, right? So he's looking, how are they doing? And as he's scanning over the the city from a high vantage point, the Bible says he saw a woman and then it says, anybody know? And she was good to look at. That's not the exact words, but that's exactly what's being said. In other words, that first look was by happen chance. If he wasn't sinning, he wouldn't have had the first look. But his self love put him in that position. And then his self love put him in that position because he not only saw a glimpse of her, he looked. Do you see it? And all of these Israelites, not all of them, that's a general misrepresentation. Many of these Israelites lived by the law legalistically. How many understand that? I obey this because I have to. I don't have a choice. This is what I'm told to do. Just like fundamentalism used to be when I grew up. How many understand? You cut your hair. I see one of your hairs touching your ear. <gasps> Satan. There are still people today in churches going around with two fingers going up to girls' knees to make sure their dress is long enough. How many understand this? It's letter of the law, it's legalism. Now let me ask you, how did legalism come up how did legalism work in Israel? It did two things. Number one, it made general people ticked off with the government. I have to, I have to, I have to, I have to. How many of you love to have to do things? Laundry, clean the dishes. Number two, it gave the religious elitists pride. I fulfill the law. No, you don't. Not according to Scripture. I did every letter of that law. Look at me. I'm in charge. How many get that? You see, legalism didn't work. Love fulfilled it. Now, you love to see, I know moms especially They love to see their children dressed up in nice clothes that are clean, fresh, and aren't going to hurt them. They wash clothes out of love for their family. Is that different? They wash dishes for love for their family that they won't get sick. They encourage each other not to get something from somebody, but because simply they need love. Caring for people isn't here as much as it is here. Does that make sense? Now both are involved, no question. <clears throat> I've been praying for. Years for a certain issue, and this morning it came to reality, and the joy that floods my soul is unbelievable. Loving others. you know, in your families, there are probably, especially when your kids grow up or they didn't grow up, when they showed up or whatever, there are times when they do things you do not like. Anybody have kids like that? <laughs> but you still love them. I'm not talking about my family. That's not. Just get that out of your head, please. This is just a general statement. You never stop loving them. You care for their souls deeply. Although... Uh, I I enjoy watching sci-fi and weird stuff like that. I do, and they're not. I'm not going to grow biblically doing that. Okay, but I will tell you this: it's because this. Everybody has seen this, and everybody knows what I'm talking about. That's the only reason. You ever seen this old old film called Star Wars? although there is a lot of pantheism and things going on there that are just simply not true, there is a sense of truth there, and this is it. Doing things out of hatred or doing things out of necessity will always lose compared to doing things out of love. Always. In other words, love always wins. Does that make sense? And I'm talking with the good, the bad, you know what I'm talking about. Love always wins. Love is the greatest motivation for anything. This verse 9 is there, I believe, specifically for the Jews. Remember we talked about how, how that the government was ticked off at the church in Rome. Why? Because they were fighting and killing each other there. That was last week, do you remember that? That ain't going to win souls for Christ, amen. And and, and, and so what did Paul do? He put it right in there. Obey the government. Just be a good citizen. Just be a good citizen so you can give the gospel. And by the way, do this out of love, not because... And here they put verse 9 in there. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment it is summed up in the saying you shall love your neighbor as who yourself. But we pamper ourselves a whole lot more than we pamper others. Is that not true? What he was telling the Jewish people is listen guys, you got this all wrong especially the Judaizers. It's not the letter of the law, it's the Spirit, amen? Jesus said that Himself in the temple in His last days there. Woe to you, you don't get it. You say this, I say this. You better listen to Christ. And the whole point of all of that discourse was love others. Love others. That fulfills the law. My kids, two of my daughters, one's still going there. Went to Bob Jones. Bob Jones is very strict on rules. Not as strict as they used to be, but very strict. So is uh, Pensacola. Now, I was at Pensacola looking for the blue and the pink sidewalks. I never found them. But I was told that guys walk on blue and girls walk on the pink. Okay, that's the insanity of fundamentalism and it's nonsense, okay? But here's the deal. A lot of those rules, it's like they're not even there. Why? Because they're motivated by love. Does that make sense? The laws that Christ brings out shouldn't affect us at all if we have love. How many understand that? It's it's not a... It's not, Ugh. it's, well, that makes sense. Yeah, I didn't even think of that. You will not be taking your, gas, your foot off the gas pedal if you're following the law. You won't have a reaction, right? You're not going to stuff ducks in the well, or in the uh, hubcap of your car with blood gushing out of it, when you see a DNR officer, nothing's going on. None of that is... <sighs> By the way, why, why do we hunt and fish and shop? What, what, do we enjoy those things? Are Christians to be able to enjoy life? Do you know how unenjoyable it is when you have a crappie to money in your boat? Seriously. I hope I don't get caught. And now we're all struggling about things we shouldn't even need to... These things should be easy. Love fulfills the law. Love fulfills the law. Oh, verse 8, links verse 8 to verse 7, but in terms of content, this paragraph harks Harkens, as we have just seen, to chapter 12, where love is the prominent theme. Believers are summoned to pay the debt of love to others, which in this case is a debt, debt that never comes to an end. Are believers called on to love fellow believers here, or are they called on to, live, to love all people? That's the first question. Well, yeah, we love each other, right? I love you, you love me, oh, how happy we are, be in the Northland, having Northland tea. I don't know, whatever. The point is, it's all about us as Christians, right? Right or wrong? It's wrong. Yes, we are to love our fellow believers, but in this text, it's those that do evil, those that hate you, those that despitefully use you, those that hurt you, the government, all those things, we're to love them. So, this isn't just a Christian thing. The unsaved should feel our love just as much as the saved. Amen. We are to love our enemies, those who hate us. We're to love the government. Therefore, we are to love all people, saved and unsaved. Some people want to differentiate between the Mosaic Law and the Shema. Here's the deal I didn't finish that uh, reasoning. The Shema is basically saying the same thing the law is. Mosaic law. Love the Lord. And when you love the Lord, you're going to love others. And when you love others and you love the Lord, none of these things even, they're not even going to affect you at all in a negative way. Not at all. Obviously in the Shema, the command is to love. Love. The Shema says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is love. Jesus was asked, what was the greatest law of Moses? Do you remember that? What is the greatest law of Moses? He states, we are to love your God with all our hearts and love others as ourselves. Obviously, that is command to love. In context, the commandments cited in verse 9 are from the Mosaic Law. Why? Because it talks about the Mosaic Law in verse 9. But in general principle, we are as Christians are to be lovers, period. The main thesis of the, perico- per- the, the the general context is that love fulfills the law. This is expressed in three different ways. The Bible says, one who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. The idea is that when you love, you fulfill the law, that you fulfill the law. And this is extremely interesting. Jesus Christ fulfilled the law by loving us. We fulfill the law by loving others. And by the way, if Jesus Christ loved us when he didn't need to and logically didn't have to, We were enemies of God, right? We're to love our enemies. Jesus did, so are we. So are we. secondly, so we now we find that it fulfills the law, in a sense, that every single law. If you love your neighbor, you're not going to commit the atrocities mentioned in the law. <clears throat> Verse 9, we just went through. If there is any other commandment, it is summed up all in saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Do we? Who's your neighbor? Who is your neighbor? Well, think about, okay, well, instantly we Americanize it and think about our literal neighbor. Let me ask you, let's just go there. Do you love your neighbor as you do yourself? You know, the guy that's got the wrong signs in his yard in your mind. And then when you see him broken down alongside the road, it's like, yes, thank you, God. He is so you are so good. I don't think we do. Well, you don't understand. What if Christ had that attitude? We are His children.
1: Uh,
0: verse 9 says this. It is summed up in these things. So not only does it fulfill the law, but it, it, loving one's neighbor as oneself sums up all the commandments in the law. All the various commands of the law are simply an expression of love. Love is the heart and soul of the commands. Amen. If one begins to focus on the commands and loses sight of the love, the rigidity, the legalism are going to follow big time. And I've been trying to express this and I'm not doing a good job. But laws don't matter if you love everybody because you're just going to do them. It's going to be natural. Actually, it's supernatural. There are countless situations in life. And by the way, if you look at the law books of our country, do you know the whole purpose of of these bodies of representatives is to make laws? And that's been going on since 1776. How many laws do you think there are? And I understand that gets really bogglesome and and tiresome, but here's the deal. When you come to any situation, don't think, okay, what's the loss? Think, how can I love this person the best? How can I share love for this person in this situation? Believers need to pray in these situations where it's, it's hard, it's difficult. The right course of action, how do you do that? Believers need to pray that their love will abound and that this love will be with wisdom so they choose the right course. I will tell you, choosing the right course during COVID wasn't, I've got AR-15s up here, you better not come or I'm going to shoot you. That's not love. Not even close to love. the very center of the Pauline ethics is love. The affections of the heart, not the mere performance of an outward action, constitute the essence of Christian life. We are to love. It should saturate our lives. Does it? Does it? Thirdly, we have another one found in verse 10. it's, It's saying, Kind of the same thing, and really it does use the same words, but love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Does no wrong. The sense is that love is the fulfilling of the law. By loving one, puts the law into practice. In other words, you lo- you, you can easily do the law because you love. That's one fulfillment. But the other fulfillment is... <clears throat> it literally does the work for you, in essence. Do you understand that? Love does the work for you. Because it's not even as if it even exists. It puts the law into practice. We find this because, look at it, it says in verse 10, love does no wrong to a neighbor. In other words, Love doesn't do evil. Love does right. Now this whole case, we can see over and over, love fulfills, love sums up, love fulfills again. How how in the world? What what are we talking about here? Here's the deal. If someone takes $1,000 $1,000 from you. What do you do? If someone takes a shirt off your back, what do you believe you owe that person? What do they owe you, that $1,000 guy? What do they owe you? Thousand dollars. It's not hard. They take your shirt off your back. What do they owe you? They owe you a shirt, and in our country, they owe um, what do they call that? Uh, what's that? Collateral damages. My pride was hindered so I need money for that. You embarrassed me. Right? That's our world. What is Christ's response? You took the shirt off me. You can take my life. You see, we think We owe people evil for evil. Tit for tat. Right? I truly believe that this text, when it talks about evil, or when it talks about owing a debt, remember, God's the one that judge, and God uses the government to judge. Don't do evil for evil. The verses are full there. The owing is the wickedness that our minds think about. That guy did this to me. I'll get him back. Is that not true? And then the Texas don't owe anybody anything except love. It's not about getting even. It's not about uh, retribution, vigilantism. You don't owe that to anybody. By the way, if you do owe tit-for-tat for for everything in your life, then what does Jesus deserve? But He didn't. He gave His life for us. We do not owe retribution. We don't get back at people. We don't um, get even with people. We never do evil to do good. Right? That's not what it it, is. All these things are stated in the text. Then it goes government takes care of the unruly, not you. Right? God takes care of the judgment, not us. How many can see? This issue when he says, Oh, no man, anything, is don't get back. Don't get back. Love them. Encourage them. Now, to be fair, it seems totally out of context to me, for me, in this context of absolute saturation of love, that he's talking about money it makes no sense at all to me. The words, and, and, and there's two words, in all of this, there are two words that deal with money. Debt, taxes, and owing this here, Those are the only two. But in both cases, he doesn't bring, he doesn't surround that money language with any kind of financial issue at all. He surrounds it with love issues right he he surri- so how can it be? The issue is we have a debt. everybody here has debt. How many feel as if when you look at what God has done, you feel as if you owe God something Amen how can you? I want to please you. That's the start of loving God. And we pay that debt by love everyone else. How many are following all this? It's very, in my opinion, it's very complicated. But if you see the context and look at the overview, it's, it's pretty obvious. We are never to repay, give back, Anything evil for evil, it's always we must love each other. The question is, how are we loving each other? What are our actions? How are we loving each other? I did not get through these notes because I, uh, uh, these are all just the verses that we already went over. The debt that we owe is paid how with love that's as simple as it gets the debt we owe is paid in love can you wait can i can't wait for the kingdom amen i cannot wait love rules and in our society today the only place they're going to find genuine Christ-like love is in the church and to be honest the church is miserably failing and the reason it is is because each and every one of us fail consistently love one another love one another amen now how many of you have ever looked at this text this way before now this isn't new so it's suspicious (laughs) okay there are some commentators not very many that do focus on this and i think i think they're right i think they're absolutely right Based on the mercies of God, what we owe people is love. That's all it is? All right, Mr. Damon, can you come and close, please? Please stand. Let's pray together and we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that. You have privileged us to be here to worship you this day. I pray your word would change us to be more like Christ and that we would be quick to love those around us. In Jesus' name, amen.